If you were probably going to draw up the people who are most replaceable by AI or ChatGPT, you'd probably immediately think, okay, newsletter writer. Like, your, your job is done yesterday. Like, figure something else out. Um, and I would say, you know, hopefully not. Maybe you have a point. But also, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think there's going to be so much AI-generated content maybe in the next couple of years that there's going to be a real premium for actually creating things. So we think a lot about, you know, let's create our own tone and our own feel with the way we write. Uh, and like I said, add our name in as many places as possible so people can feel like they're reading something written by a human and not something that ChatGPT could have just easily Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today I get to talk to Sean O'Malley, someone who's an editor and a writer for the Investors Podcast Network, over 110 million downloads. He writes for an audience of over 30,000 people. So we're going to get to pick his brain, get some deep insight, not only into the writing process, maybe how you grow and expand things, but also the business of networking and podcasts, et cetera, which is obviously near and dear to my heart, because hopefully it all for you guys leads to freedom, which is what we're about here. Uh, Sean, thank you so much for joining us. Talk, take us into it a little bit. I mean, 110 million downloads. Like how many sub brands, like how, how did you guys get to a place where you're getting 110 million downloads? <laughs> hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's uh, it's a pleasure to, to be on and, and talk about this. And, you know, it's, it's an incredible story really. And, and I don't want to take any credit for it because I don't deserve it, but I can, I can certainly relay the story of, you know, our, our two founders, their names are uh, Preston and Stig and they started out in 2014 and, you know, kind of just when podcasting, I would say it was, was going big, you know, and, and it was becoming a lot more common. Um, and they just picked a niche and that was stock investing. Uh, and they would go on and, you know, basically every week read one stock investing book and then share their insights with it. And it just, it caught traction. There wasn't a lot of people doing stock investing podcasts in 2014. And, uh, you know, once you hit the charts, there's sort of a top of the charts, you know, there's sort of a, a positive feedback loop there of, you know, you're up there and then that just, that momentum builds and builds and builds. Uh, and they started having guests on and, you know, started making connections with, you know, every year they would go to Omaha, Nebraska, actually, to uh, see Warren Buffett speak in the uh, Berkshire Hathaway annual shareholder meeting. And so they make these incredible connections with, uh, you know, I mean, the event is called the uh, Woodstock of Capitalism. So they'd go out and you just meet these incredible investors. And then it would kind of be like, hey, you know, you want to come back be on the podcast? And then some people would say, you know, what what is a podcast? Sure, I'll do that. Um, and yeah, from there, you know, they, they had some great guests and, and continued to dominate the charts. And, uh, I think in 2017 or 2018, they did a spinoff. They did a millennial investing podcast. Since then we've started a real estate investing podcast, Bitcoin podcast. Uh, and then obviously we have the newsletter, which I work on primarily. Uh, we started a YouTube channel. So yeah, it's grown from, you know, more than just being a podcasting company and it's become a, uh, a broader media organization, but you know, really the, the, the values are the same, uh, and that is to, to educate people about, uh, you know, it started with stock investing, but now it's kind of generally financial literacy, investing, building wealth, uh, stuff like that. So I would love to get, I mean, your skill set is obviously the editing and the writing. I'd love to get deep into that element. I mean, when you're writing for 30,000 people, you're getting a lot of insight in whether something works or doesn't work. A lot of the people we talk to, whether they're agents or investors or content creators in some way or, or other, what are, what are some of the rules that you've learned that are hard and fast for you as far as what to do, what not to do in, in the writing? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it's interesting too, because 
I, when I first started, I felt so naive because I was thinking that we were only competing with other newsletters. Uh, and that's just such a narrow framework to, to think through. But, you know, really, I, I kind of thought, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I have the option to read newsletters. And as a newsletter writer, I'm subscribed to a lot of newsletters, probably unsurprisingly, but uh, could also go on TikTok. I could go on YouTube. Uh, I could read the Wall Street Journal. You know, I could do a, a million things. So, you know, you're really competing for people's attention. And when I first started, uh, you know, if you go back and look at what the newsletter looked like really early on, uh, it was just long and had a lot of different things going on, way too wordy. The formatting wasn't as appealing as it could be. It just we, I wasn't thinking about making it as readable as possible. I was thinking about it as a nerd who loved stock investing, let's say, and you know, just wanted to get really deep into the weeds immediately with people about, you know, this is everything I know. Let me just knowledge dump on you. Um, and I don't, you know, I we started out with a much smaller sort of open rate, is what you call it, which is like the number of people who open your your email each day. Um, and so we've doubled that over the last year and, and have continued to grow it. But, uh, you know, really, I think in the time, in the meantime, I've learned a lot about focusing on readability, you know, keeping it short and sweet. And so we started out, there wasn't really a purpose to the newsletter, you know, it was generally, yeah, we're going to keep people informed about financial markets and investing, but what exactly does that mean? Um, and in the time since I've found sort of a, um, I don't know, a tagline or, you know, like for, for what it is that we want to do. And it's the three biggest stories in markets simply explained each day. So I wake up every day, I spend an hour, two hours going through Bloomberg, Financial Times, Wall Street Journal, all the different blogs and, and you know, news uh, sites that I follow. And I, I try to figure out what I think are the three most important stories for, you know, regular people to, to understand. So, you know, having kind of a very clear purpose of what value you add for people, um, and then being cognizant of the fact that you're competing with a lot of different forms of media for people's attention. And so you can't have a newsletter that takes 20 minutes to read. Uh, it's got to be, it's got to be, I would like it to be as informative as possible, but you also have to, it has to be fun. It has to be entertaining. Uh, it has to be easy to understand. The formatting has to be simple to follow. Um, as many visuals as possible, stuff like that. Those are some of my important, you know, kind of early takeaways. And yeah, like I said, I think if you compare where the newsletter that I write, you know, looked like a year ago to what it looks like now, it's it's almost infinitely better. And my kind of framework has just been to, to compound improvement every single day. If I can make the if I can make what we do just a little bit better uh, in a year, two years, five years from now, it'll be you know exponentially better. What, what do you think the biggest improvements came for you? Was it was it the more humor? Was it the more attractive layout? Was it more readable? Like where have you seen personally? the biggest gains in your writing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it would be very easy to say that the formatting and stuff has gotten a lot better and the readability has gotten a lot better, which I, I think is true, but really getting over the initial imposter syndrome of, of feeling like I'm qualified to share information with people and, and do so confidently. Um, I think if you would, were to look at my writing the first couple months, there was sort of a hesitation to it of, you know, I don't know if I know this. So when I write it, there's kind of a slightly different language and wording that you use. Um, and I, I eventually I just realized I met so many smart people who, who doubt themselves. And, and not to say that, you know, I'm a genius and I'm as smart as some of these people that I've met, but I realized you, you never get to a place where you, you feel confident enough to share information with people. Um, 
unless you're maybe really truly decades of being an expert in, in a subject matter. And so I, I realized that I have a lot of good information that I, I want to share with people and that, you know, as long as I'm humble and honest about what I don't know, um, I can really help people with, with what I do know. And so I, I think my tone has changed a lot and uh, I figured out how to be, to maybe take myself a little less seriously too. in a lot of the writing that we do, um, especially for people who don't, who maybe aren't as obsessed with financial markets as me and maybe my circle of, of people that I interact with a lot, you know, I, it just doesn't need to be that serious, you know, and you can explain inflation and interest rates without using a ton of jargon that is sort of, you know, exclusionary, right? I mean, the financial industry has been kind of plagued by years of a lot of these people who try to sound smarter than they really are. And they use exclusionary jargon that, you know, really isn't that complicated of a concept. Um, but, you know, because I know the jargon and you don't, I can sound smarter than you. Uh, and I read a book called Smart Brevity, actually, and it it's, was produced by the, the folks who uh, run Axios newsletters, and they're kind of a, a larger media company, too. Uh, and it really resonated with me of, you know, cut through the jargon and just speak the way everyday people speak. Um, and so I, I think that marked a big shift after I read that book and, and how we write the newsletter of, you know, cutting through, don't assume. I mean, obviously, you have to people assume that people know a little bit, but um, pretty much almost assume that people don't know anything. And that's not to condescend the audience, but that's just to be as inclusionary as possible of, I'm not gonna assume you know what a yield curve is or what an interest rate is, or even how banks work. And then when you start from that point and then you talk about the financial system and financial markets, um, you, you come from a more principles-based kind of fundamentals perspective. And so, yeah, yeah, really just trying to, to make it as, understandable to to the everyday reader as as possible is that challenging for you like as these terms yield curve etc are going to come up a lot constantly explaining those terms <laughs> it's it's something that yeah right i mean it's something that i think i'm still working through i don't know if i have a perfect answer for it i feel like there's certain buzzwords or there's certain concepts where i feel like I just have to eventually, after I've written about it so many times, I have to assume to some extent the audience maybe is familiar with it. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a constant trade-off and kind of a, a balance between, you know, not trying to dumb things down to the audience too much that you alienate them or alienate people that have been reading for a long time. But like I said, being cognizant that, like, I mean, when I first started, there's just so many, I mean, I, the, one of the things that I had the patience to do and had the time to do because it was, uh, you know, COVID times and, you know, we all had a lot of times on our, time on our hand was I would listen to these investing podcasts and I would just go through and I would stop like every 15 seconds and I would just be constantly looking up terms. Like, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? Um, and if I had a day job, or even if I was like, you know, busy with school or whatever it is, I wouldn't have been able to do that. So I, I felt very fortunate to actually, in a way, have that opportunity during COVID to just dive into following my curiosity wherever it took me. Uh, and, and really, I, I translate a lot that a lot to how I do the newsletter. Uh, it, you know, if, if there's an opportunity where I feel like, okay, it'd be a lot easier to just use this jargon or this buzzword. Um, is this something that me a couple of years ago wouldn't have understood? Is this something, you know, I would have paused the podcast to look up, you know, and there's a lot of things like that, that people just assume other people know. Um, and then people are too 
hesitant to actually say, well, I don't know what that means. What is a soft landing? Why does the Fed keep talking about a soft landing? You know, why is there an inverse relationship historically between uh, inflation and unemployment? What does that mean? You know, why does that actually happen? So whenever there's kind of a, you know, especially if it's kind of the core underlying concept of maybe a, an article or, you know, write up that we're working on, um, I really try to go the extra step to, to make sure I explain it so that I can minimize the amount that people might have to, let's say, pause or, you know, stop to, to look up stuff that I've written. So like, let's say you're writing about a soft landing for the first time and then versus when you're writing about it for the 30th time or the 40th time, do you find yourself like changing it each time a little bit to, to improve <laughs> on it or? Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, again, honestly, like if, if we wrote about soft landing on Tuesday, on Thursday, I'm, I'm not going to give maybe as much of a, yeah. you know, I might link to what I wrote on, on Tuesday or something yeah. like that, but it is, here. you know, one of the interesting things that I, I've always thought has been a kind of a good litmus test for do you know something well is could you explain it to a five-year-old or maybe a fifth grader? That's maybe a better way to put it, right? Um, and so I feel like the more practice I get explaining terms and concepts and stuff like that, um, I always think like, okay, would a fifth grader understand this? And the first time I take a crack at it, probably not. Like I'm probably still like relying on jargon and, you know, stuff to kind of where I understand what I'm saying, but not necessarily somebody else with less context understands what I'm saying. But yeah, I mean, over time you, you get really good at, at figuring out where those gaps in knowledge might be for people and, and trying to connect the dots. And it's also really great too, because, you know, people from the audience write in all the time uh, and, and tell me, you know, thanks for explaining this, or, you know, can you elaborate more on this next time and, you know, touch on this. And, uh, it, it provides a lot of a context for, you know, cause I can imagine all I want, what I might not have understood a few years ago, but of course it's really great to get that audience feedback and have people say, I don't understand this. And it's like, okay, next newsletter, we're going to tackle this and I'm going to try to be as like clear as possible as I, I can be. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, this past year I mentioned that the founders of our company, kind of got their start by going to uh, Omaha to, to listen to, you know, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger speak. Um, and I, I had the privilege to, to do that uh, this year, actually, uh, I think this past April or May. Um, and I, I flew out there and actually got to meet some folks who, a lot of people who listen to the podcast, but also a smaller set of people who, uh, who read the newsletter. And it was really cool to, to see them and, and realize that you're writing for real people too. And, you know, that, yeah, that they're out there. You're not just sending something into the void and that it's actually being received, which was, was very cool. Which is really interesting because in the content space, you have the viewers, right? Especially like in YouTube where they're watching a personality and they form a relationship with the person on the video, even though it's not a real relationship. Do you find yourself forming a relationship with the simulated listener that you're a reader that you're writing for? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you know, I mean, okay, to go back to this Omaha trip, you know, I, I was fully prepared to be uh, completely outshadowed, right? I, I work with some incredible people who run, you know, very popular podcasts. And so, you know, of course, when you're doing podcasting, your voice is going to be recognizable. And then also sometimes there's a video component. And so people are, are definitely more likely to, to recognize your face. Uh, I, who knows who writes a newsletter, right? Why would you know that? That's not, you know, something that, that most people would even really have an easy ability to, to, to kind of figure out. 
Um, so yeah, I, I went in fully expecting to, to not have anyone recognize me. Uh, and, but multiple people said, you know, oh, I, I recognize, because I think at the, the bottom of the, the newsletter, there's like a small little like headshot of me and it's like a sketch. And I had multiple people say, oh, I recognize that. I've seen that. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, you scrolled all the way to the bottom of the newsletter and you saw that and then you recognize me at a bar? That's crazy. Uh, by no means is our newsletter that big, but it, again, it was because it was uh, this very, you know, very niche event for the types of people that would want to read a financial markets and investing newsletter every day. But uh, yeah, it, it was really cool to, to have that brought to life. And, um, you know, I'm hoping to, I guess I try to, we, we have a team of writers now, there's, there's three of us. And so I try to have us as much as possible sign our name off of where we write things, you know, try to make the newsletter more relatable and share tidbits about yourself. Uh, and then, you know, if you share a tidbit about yourself in a certain section, you know, throw your name in there just so, so people get to know you. Uh, and, you know, I've found that people email and they, they don't just address the newsletter generally, they address specifically which writer wrote what, and it's, you know, Oh, Sean, you wrote this. Uh, I really like that. Or, you know, I didn't understand what you meant. Um, so yeah, it's really cool to kind of add those like personal tidbits in the newsletter. Cause I think, I think it matters to people and, and something that we've, we've thought a lot about is if you're probably going to draw up the people who are most replaceable by AI or chat GBT, you'd probably immediately think, okay, newsletter writer, like your, your job is done yesterday, like figure something else out. Um, and I would say, you know, hopefully not, maybe you have a point, but also, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think there's going to be so much AI generated content maybe in the next couple of years that there's going to be a real premium for actually creating things. So we think a lot about, you know, let's create our own tone and our own feel with the way we write. Uh, and like I said, add our name in as many places as possible so people can feel like they're reading something written by a human and not something that ChatGPT could have just easily uh, churned out. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. One of the main quotes you see online now is it's not AI that will replace humans. It's humans using AI that will replace humans. Do you guys um, utilize AI in that way? Like, I mean, one of the ways we use it is just to cure my sense of writer's block or idea block. Are you guys using it? And if so, how? 
Yeah, no, it's a great question. We tried it with writing a little bit, and I don't think it's fully there as a product, at least not for, you know, like I said, we kind of have own tone and style. And so I don't think it's there for that, but I find it actually, it's a really great sort of research tool. Um, you know, there was this stuff a couple months back with Credit Suisse and the bank imploded, and there was a lot of niche banking law involved. And so I was looking up, you know, terms about the European banking system and regulations that I'd never heard of before. I just throw it into chat GBT and I would say, you know, explain this regulation to me simply. And I mean, it would do it. And like, what would have taken me, I, I actually tested it out because I, I researched something for maybe 45 minutes. Uh, and it took me 30 minutes to wrap my head around it. And then another 15 minutes to really read through and make sure I, I understood it. Um, and then, you know, I wrote something that was sort of my explanation of it. And then I asked ChatGBT, like, okay, you know, what, what is this? You try explaining it. Uh, and it cranked out actually almost the exact same, like 250 words that I wrote. Um, but it did it in 30 seconds. And so I realized, right. okay, that's a powerful tool. It can't write the whole thing. Maybe in the way that I would want it to be written, but it can help me learn about things really quickly. And I think of it as being like a, a conductor on a train or like a composer. And like, if you can guide AI in the right direction, sort of like you said, like maybe it's not gonna take people's jobs, but uh, it's gonna complement people's jobs. And so uh, that's something I've, I've tried to take advantage of a lot. And, you know, if there's, even if I just need a refresher on something like, uh, it's like, I haven't read about this in a couple of years. Like what, what exactly is this concept? Uh, and then just throw it back in the chat GBT and it's a great refresher. You know, it's like having an expert in your back pocket who is also more, almost somehow more approachable than Google because Google, it still kind of feels like oh, I got to dig through these articles and like, you know, it's not as easy to find exactly what I'm looking for, but you can tell chat, chat GBT, you know, exactly what you're looking for. And it's like, okay, great. This is a perfect summary. I'm going to like reword re it a little bit and then plug it into this section of the newsletter and like it saved me a lot of time. And then now I can go deeper on, you know, some other concept or, you know, focus on finding a really great chart or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Maybe a less sophisticated Google, but way more available and yeah. on point. Yeah. So let's talk about the business of this thing. I mean, obviously you're working in a section of the business, you're growing the audience through the newsletter, but like, give me some example of like how these elements orchestrate together. And, and to give you context on why I'm asking the question, a lot of people that are in podcasting, as you know, or just in real estate business in general or in stocks, like that are running businesses, they want a marketing arm or a content arm. And like, how are those playing together for you guys? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of moving parts, you know, given the name of our company, the investors podcast network, uh, our bread and butter is, is definitely still, podcasting and and specifically our, our we study billionaires podcast is is the biggest one and so in many ways that sort of early success that we found with that brand has subsidized a lot of the other activities that we did uh you know for example in the early days when i first started the newsletter i was also working on our youtube channel and you know i think it's something like for every thousand views you get, it's like $10 in AdSense, you know, which is sort of the advertising kickbacks that you get. Um, and you know, that sounds great. And if you're getting millions of views, that's a sustainable business. But, you know, I was doing like book reviews, you know, so I'd read a book for, it'd take me, let's say 15 to 20 hours to read the book, another five hours to write a script, 
summarizing the book and then another two hours to let's say to film and put together a video for it. 27, 30 hours of work going into a video. Even if we got 5,000 views on it, you know, 50 bucks basically is, is what you'd make on that. Um, and so then we started thinking about, you know, okay, is it makes sense to use YouTube as sort of a funnel where we expect to lose money on it, but we're hoping to bring people into sort of an ecosystem. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe there's some merit there, but um, I guess my point is media is really tough and the margins can be really thin, uh, especially if you're not at a big scale, if you're trying to rely on, let's say, paid ads. And so with our podcast, We Study Billionaires, you know, we can rely on that because, you know, we're one of the largest business podcasts in the world. Uh, and we have our own sales team and we're able to work directly with advertisers and not necessarily rely on the kind of auto generated ads that Spotify might plug in for you, but we can actually, you know, work and negotiate our own ad rates with advertisers and stuff like that. And that gives us pricing power and, uh, you know, more flexibility. And, uh, we're able to have our own hosts promote the content and the ads that they do, um, as opposed to just having some random, you know, whatever XYZ company ad that's in a totally different voice, just get interjected into the middle of the, the podcast. Um, so yeah, you know, by kind of finding that scale, we're able to, to subsidize it, for example, during the newsletter. Um, and you know, where we started with the newsletter was thinking that, okay, this is probably going to be like YouTube where we have an audience and it's maybe enough of an audience that it's worth continuing to do, but we're not necessarily expecting to monetize it profitably. And so, you know, if we can write for a few thousand people, uh, and keep them informed and add value for them and then encourage them to listen to our podcast, which is our bread and butter, uh, we can kind of have a, a funnel that, that pushes people up towards the podcast. But, you know, in the time since we've realized that, you know, there is something to be said about a newsletter business where, um, I would say emails are one of the most intimate ways of interacting with, let's say a potential customer. It's not a billboard on the road. It's not a random Spotify ad that you skip through. It's something that you, you know, people take a lot of kind of effort to curate their email inbox. It's a very private and personal thing. Um, and if you can earn someone's trust to be in their email inbox every single day, um, that says a lot about the quality of, let's say, the newsletter that you're putting you're putting together for folks. But um, that also means that, let's say, the testimony that you give for an advertiser. You know, this is the stockbroker I use, and you, you know, if you really like the newsletter and you've gotten a lot of value out of it, that opinion, you know, carries weight for you. So. I think we've increasingly realized that we, we want the newsletter to be its, its own business. And, and that's my hope for it is that, you know, one day, uh, we study markets is, is the name of our newsletter. Uh, and I hope that it can be bigger than our, our we study billionaires podcast in, in terms of revenue in, in five years. And so, you know, it's, it's an ambitious goal and, you know, whether we'll get there with paid ads, it, it's tough. Cause like I said, you got to really hit a big scale. And then there's also some sort of more existential questions about the, the advertising market. You know, we've seen a, a big downturn over the last year or so uh, with ads and, you know, lower ad rates. And there's just so many different places competing for, for advertisers and advertisers are not necessarily as interested in spending as much. And so is it a cyclical thing or is it more of a structural challenge we'll have to work through? Um, I don't know. And so that's why we've started thinking more about sort of subs subscriber-based uh, opportunities, selling courses or creating communities of people for networking, uh, you know, sort of like paid memberships 
Uh, and so that's where we've been, we've been exploring a lot of, of how can we kind of diversify away from um, relying as heavily on paid ads, which we found out, you know, this past year are, are very cyclical. And, you know, there's a great time for several years where, where ad spending was, was really high. Uh, and it just, it was kind of a, an eye opener for us this past year and a, an opportunity to, you know, think about how we can diversify what we do. And I hope the, the newsletter can play a big role in that, um, whether it's you know, selling courses or uh, promoting paid memberships. We have a stock investing tool that we, we sell access to, stuff like that that's uh, beyond the realm of, of just relying on you know, paid advertisers to, to pay all the bills. Yeah. And so like when you think about stock investing, you're typically, you know, I mean, one of the strategies is to buy stocks that are undervalued, companies that are undervalued, et cetera, so on and so forth. One of the reasons I'm assuming the value in a podcast network is, like you said, the brokering of these media prices. Do you feel like the state of the market is that these advertising companies are just, or the, you know, the podcasting companies that are paying you, you know, for the, the listens, are they like way underpriced in your opinion? Accurately priced? Like how much arbitrage do you think there is available for podcast networks? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough question, man. I, Oh, it's something that is kind of exciting to, to think about. Um, I feel like it depends a lot on the podcast network, right? And, and kind of like what we were talking about with the newsletter, the more trust and personalized you can make, let's say your newsletter and you know, more of that relationship you can build with your audience, uh, the more pricing power you should have with advertisers. And, and I feel like it's, I feel like it should be the same with podcasts. And again, you know, take what I say with a grain of salt because my focus is, is mostly on newsletters, but, um, I would have to imagine that, you know, there's something to be said of even if you don't have the biggest audience, if you have a really passionate audience that really loves you and the content that you make, that should be worth a lot to an advertiser, especially if you can negotiate those ad deals in a way that it's, you know, maybe you giving a testimony for a product as opposed to, like I was saying before, some, you know, auto generic ad that's, that's getting um, like shoved in. So yeah. And, and then if not, you know, honestly, I, I feel like there's so much opportunity to sell subscriptions and memberships and courses that if you really do have that sort of relationship with your audience and you're really putting out quality material out there and people really trust you and your opinion and your background, they want they want to pay you a token of gratitude. You know, we found that where people want to buy, let's say, a course from us or a book or whatever it is, not really because they want the course, but because they've listened to the podcast for years and have heard hundreds of guests, and you know, really, it felt like it's changed the not to be too dramatic, but I think there's people out there and actually I would say myself, it, it's changed the trajectory of their lives to, to listen to these podcasts and hear the, all these different guests and, and learn so much. Um, people want to pay gratitude for that. And if advertisers aren't willing to pay a premium for those spots to be in between the content creator and their audience that really trusts them, then I think content creators should lean into you know, selling memberships and courses and other things like that at a minimum as a way for the audience to, to pay a token of gratitude forward. But also hopefully you're, you know, providing content that is really valuable for people and they want to pay for it and they want to recommend to their friends, you know, of, Hey, I did this and this was awesome. You should do it too. It's 50 bucks or, you know, whatever, whatever it costs. What is your vision for your life and business next 12 to 18 months? 
Yeah. I, you know, we started out with the, the newsletter, just me, um, writing it and we quickly brought on another writer and now there's a team of three writers. Um, and we have a support team that works with us and it's become a much bigger operation and a much bigger business. And so I, I think a message for any entrepreneur out there is, you know, it's one thing to be really good at doing something yourself. I would like to think I was pretty good at maybe let's say writing a daily markets newsletter, but then you also have to learn, you know, as you progress, you learn to manage people, which is a whole different skill set. And, and that's something I've been navigating for the last couple of months is, you know, okay, you know how to do something yourself. You, you have a feel for, let's say what the newsletter should look like uh, and how it should read each day, but how do you communicate that with other people, keep them task oriented, motivated, producing high quality material? How do you provide the right feedback? So, you know, I think over the next, let's say 12 to 18 months, my hope is just to get so much better at managing people because it's been really early on in that experience for me. And I know that it's, you know, a skill set that doesn't come naturally to me. Uh, and there's a lot of, lot of room for improvement, but I think, you know, as I said, if we're going to get to a point in five years where our newsletter, we study markets is as big as our biggest podcast, we're going to have to have a big team. Uh, and if I'm going to be at the top of that, I'm going to have to know how to, to manage people. Uh, and then, you know, the other thing I've been working on in the meantime is, trying to translate everything I've learned about stock investing and getting back to this theme of, you know, everything that I would have paused, let's say a stock investing podcast four or five years ago, and then looked up, can I translate that into a simple course for people to, you know, these are all the questions that you could ever want answers to when you first start stock investing. This is everything and more than you need to know. Um, and yeah, so just, you know, like a basic how to get started with, with stock investing. And, and again, being as inclusionary as possible, cutting out the jargon, explaining the concepts from sort of a principles first and more fundamental level, uh, and then putting that in a course. So I hope that in the next 12 to 18 months, the, the newsletter will be uh, at 100,000 subscribers. I hope we'll have a bigger team that I can continue to manage. And I hope that we'll have a great course that we can market and sell in the newsletter and people want to pay for and are excited about and is hopefully educational for um, how to invest in stocks. Sean, thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure. Like there's certain things that we've been writing. So I, I understand and appreciate the work that you do. It's not easy to write a daily newsletter. It's not, for a lot of people, it's not easy to do anything daily, like of that caliber. So <laughs> thank you for doing the work that you do. Um, guys, if you're out there listening, write down something you learned from today's episode, share it with somebody you know, so they can hold you accountable. Maybe today it was, um, you know, the, the arbitrage of, of the, or joining a network, or maybe it's the writing or the tone or, or maybe humor, whatever the case was, write it down, share it with somebody you know, so they can hold you accountable. Freedom's required one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know you too, we'll be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 